PSMJ Radio. I'm your host, Monty Oberg, and today I'm joined by two guests, Lou Zambello and Phil Kaplan, who I'm going to let introduce themselves in a moment so I don't mess anything up. But we're going to be talking about primarily what you look for when you're hiring a new person uh, for an architecture firm, a bunch of things about that, which we'll get into in a moment. But first, I'd like to allow them to introduce themselves. Uh, so, guys, happy to have you on the show. How are you doing? Hey, Marty. Thanks for having us. Uh, I'm Phil Kaplan. Name my firm's Kaplan Thompson Architects. Uh, we're up here in Portland, Maine. We've been around uh, for about 12 years now. I went on my own in 2004, uh, and Phil Kaplan Architect became Kaplan Thompson Architects. About two years after, I brought on my partner Jesse Thompson. Uh, we're a firm of uh, about 14 people right now, um, and I think that's about it. Uh, I graduated from Carnegie Mellon University in 85. Um, my path to architecture wasn't necessarily so straight, but I ended up here and love what I do. And my name is Lou Zambello, and I'm a small business consultant for a consulting firm in Portland called Opus Consulting and I help small businesses with um, strategy, um, organizational development, uh, sometimes executive coaching. Um, and I should mention that, that our perspectives today are, are coming from sort of a small business perspective. So when we talk about um, hiring for architecture firms, we're really thinking about smaller firms, say under 40 or 50 employees, because smaller firms have different um, organizational needs and, and would, would hire people differently than a larger firm that perhaps is more um, more specialist. Also our perspective as well is uh, from an architecture firm that uh, does both commercial and residential um, projects because there's different skill sets involved there. And uh, I got to know Phil because Phil and I worked together on, on a number of, of aspects of his business. So that's us. Great. And I I just want to mention, so the reason that we're doing this episode is because I'd heard from a couple of people uh, that they wanted they wanted a podcast about, you know, looking for the right people and, and how to hire the right people, because that seems to be a, a hot topic in the industry. And I admittedly did not want to do that for a little while, just because that sounded to me at least kind of boring even though it is important and you always need to have the right people in your in your office but I remembered that uh, Lou actually helped me uh, our relationship goes way back because he's actually my uncle he helped me with the interview process when I was looking for jobs so I thought you know he's an entertaining guy I'll have him on the show and he said he knew someone which turned out to be Phil I was like, well, if he wants to have Phil on, Phil's also probably a pretty interesting guy. So I figured this would be a good good way to do this uh, this topic in this episode. So again, thank you so much for you guys uh, being on the show. But let's get uh, let's get get into this now and start things off with the most what I would say is probably the most important thing or the most important question that you have to ask yourself when you're hiring for, it does probably doesn't, it really doesn't matter what company or what organization, but for the sake of this conversation, an architecture firm, what skills are you looking for when you're hiring for an architecture firm and how those skills 
evolved as technology has evolved and how the industry has evolved? I feel like that's a pretty basic question, but you know, one that people might not be be able to answer fully uh, if you just ask them off the top of their to give an answer off the top of their head. Go ahead, Phil. You start. <laughs> well, what skills? Um, it's kind of a broad question because it, a lot of it depends on who you're looking for. On a smaller firm, uh, we hire different types of people. We are looking for somebody who has a really broad set of skills. Uh, larger firms tend to want people um, who have specific skills. We usually can't afford to do that. When we hire somebody, they got to be good at just about everything. Um, so that's that that's kind of where my bent is. That's where we lean. When when somebody comes in here, not only do they have to be good technically, but they have to be good designers. They have to be um, enjoyable to be with. They have to be uh, make you feel comfortable. There's just a lot of a lot of things that that they're going to need, and you have to assume that everybody is going to move into a project management role eventually, if they aren't already. So how has that evolved? Well. Technology has changed so many things. Um, so it used to be that uh, there was a handful of programs. Now there are tons of programs that are out there. Um, they all talk to each other, but you have to really be able to be pretty facile um, with the technology these days. You know, I think it's important, in addition to you know specific skills relating to architecture, I think these days you have to hire people that have sort of an attitude that they're lifetime learners, uh, that they're comfortable and enthusiastic about learning new technology. I mean, I, I was working with a client recently and we hired a person, or we're going to hire a person who is competent technically in what we were trying to have her do, but she said up front, you know, I'm really not a big fan of computers. I mean, I've learned the basics, but boy, I, I you know, every time a new program or new version comes up, I just, you know, roll my eyes because now I'm going to have to learn something new. That's a great example of someone you don't want to hire because, if anything, the, the increase, the changes in technology are accelerating every year. So it, it, you really have to hire people that embrace that, embrace that challenge of learning, you know, probably a new approach every year. How does that compare with, uh, you said, like you mentioned, you got to be willing to, to be a lifetime learner, which I would agree. I think that's important, not just in business, but in life. But with, you know, a kid coming out of college, is it assumed that they're going to know the latest technology and how to do stuff? Or is it going to be, or are the skills that you look for more learned from time? actually being well, uh, in an office working instead of just in the classroom yeah there's there's both i mean architecture schools um are pretty rigorous in what they do i mean they beat you up pretty hard so you're used to deadlines you, you're used to deliverables um so there's a lot of the the worth at work ethic piece that's ingrained if, if a kid comes out of a good school um, and the other thing that that most good schools do now is that um they, they try to instill you with passion, and then that's one of the things we look for, that you've got to get excited about what you're doing. The interesting thing about architecture is that it's, you know, it's um, completely uh, subjective, that you know, somebody likes something and someone else may not like it, but you've got to convince somebody 
um, that your idea is better, even though there's an infinite number of answers to this thing. So when we look for somebody, we look for somebody who's got that sort of uh, that passion, that that excitement, that that architectural schools, the good ones, tend to instill you with. You know, I think for the most part, the students coming out of the good schools are very comfortable with the latest technology, but there's a difference between knowing how to use the technology in a classroom and knowing how to use the technology in, a, in an office. For instance, um, I talked to somebody recently right out of school, um, tremendous uh, user of technology that create these incredibly detailed um, architecture plans in, in three dimensions. And the first thing she learned is the partner said, you're, you're creating too much detail too early in the process and clients will gravitate to, gee, this tree is three feet high and, and an evergreen and I really was thinking five feet high and a deciduous tree. Sometimes the, the technology can, can get you to levels of detail before, with clients before they, they're really ready to see it. So, so there's, a, there's some sort of learning as to the best way to trot out all this technology because you can overwhelm you know, you can overwhelm with technology and lose sight of, of that there's a fair amount of, of conversation and back and forth that has to go on. Yeah, and this is interesting, Luke, because here's, here's what I, I see a lot. I mean, technology, learning these programs, these kids, uh, you know, they're downloading four apps a day, and the, learning it is not the issue. It's getting too fixated on it, kind of like you say, that that that's all they can do. They, they play and they play in the 3D and they want to keep going, but at some point you got to stop and evaluate and bring other people in to it. And a lot of these programs are actually hard to have multiple people doing one thing at one time. So you know, that, that's the problem in a lot of ways, that to, to break these kids out of the, I'm right in front of the computer and I'm cranking away and it's all me sort of mentality. Yeah, it almost becomes a, like a crutch. Like I can't do this, I can't do it any other way than unless I'm using this whatever application it is or this piece of technology or whatnot and just going as far as I can with it, which, yeah, might not be the best thing or might not be what the what the client's looking for. The, the other interesting thing is if, if you hire somebody that understands the latest technology, that's great. But a really a superstar hire would be somebody that not only understands the technology but has the skill set to work with other people in the organization that perhaps need to learn that technology, and so they act as, as sort of a tutor. And, and that skill um, is really helpful, and, um, and it's not helpful if somebody comes in new to a company with new technology, and maybe somebody's already there that's a, that's, that is struggling to learn it and, and comes over with an attitude of, you know, Oh, you dinosaur! You know, I can't believe you don't. I, don't, I <laughs> right. can't believe you don't know this technology. It's sort of like you know, landing in a foreign country and and uh, learning to communicate. There's a certain skill involved where people can come in and and welcome the opportunity in the right way to bring the company along with them into the latest technology. So it's not just knowing the technology. Um, you know, sometimes the best mathematicians are the worst math teachers. So, so it's a little bit of a different skill to not only know the math, but be able to teach the math. That kind of uh, brings me to the next question I wanted to ask, which was when you're evaluating uh, candidates, do you always 
go for the best and brightest. And based on Lou, what you just said, uh, I don't think that's that's the case because someone could come in and you could look at their portfolio and go, wow, this work is amazing. And they always deliver on time. Their track record is flawless, but they just don't have any people skills or they're kind of, you know, not the greatest person to work with uh, on a social level. But then you might have another candidate who's, you know, they do solid work. It's not bad by any means, but their people skills are great. They're fun to be around. I know I personally, if I was in that position, which is funny to say just because I'm, you know, I'm 23. I'm pretty young in my my uh, my working career. I would go for the person that's that does good work and it's fun to be around just because that's going to make, you know, the office a, a better place to be at versus the person that's does the most technically outstanding work you've ever seen who's just no fun to be around. You don't like them as a person. Yeah, well, best and brightest is a kind of a <clears throat> it's a funny thing to think about. You know, best <clears throat> best at what, um, brightest at what, uh, and specifically, what are you looking for? And if you've got a a larger firm, again, you might and you have limited resources. The best hire may be somebody who will work for X number of dollars an hour. Um, who does a pretty good job at drafting, and, and, and that's what you need right now. For for me, you know, as a, again, as I said, as a smaller firm, I tend to uh, try to hire somebody who's more well-rounded, just as you said, Marty, that the, the people skills are, are a pretty big deal. Um, but, but here's the thing, sometimes when I see a resume that's just outstanding and we don't have a spot for that person, I mean, we're always looking at resumes. We get them in here. You never know what's going on. So the best and brightest are pretty few and far between. But if you find one, you find a way to make that person work. I've got a couple of people in my firm where we made room for it because I was just so impressed. And I said, this is kind of a one-of-a-kind thing. So, Yeah, I always say when I talk, when I advise small companies or medium-sized companies that it's really the mix of people. Um, and every company needs one or two A's. I mean, really, really outstanding people because they frequently are the difference between your firm, no matter what you're doing, and, and a bunch of other firms. So so you need you need to find a few A's, um, at least one, even if they're a little difficult to work with because they are gonna drive to um, greater accomplishments and, and greater work. But you certainly wouldn't want all A's because sometimes with superior, often with superior talent comes superior ambition. And so you start having people, you know, killing each other or all, everybody wants to be, be, you know, be made partner. So I think, I think you have to look at the totality of the, of the group and you can't have all A's. You want one or two A's, but you want some solid B's, people that are good, but, but willing to, to, to do the job, you know, and, you know, use, I'll use a football analogy since the, decision to to uh, suspend Brady came Tom Brady came down yesterday but you know you need one really good quarterback but you don't need you know two really good quarterbacks on the same team causes problems um, so you know you got to look at the entire team and 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 how everybody meshes together now let's go back to the to the school piece that we were just talking about before um, okay. one of the things that one of the issues that we're seeing with people coming out of schools um, is they're learning to collaborate more and for a long time, firms were saying, all right, it'd be really great if kids came out of school and knew how to work with each other. So you're seeing more and more programs that have group projects. That's all well and good. That's awesome. But we're finding out of that, it's much harder to see the, the A's. 
because they're not used to stepping up. They're used to working and, and diminishing their role as opposed to having somebody who says, I can do it all. I've handled it all. Let me step up and let me let me kind of jump in. Uh, so that, that kind of has been a problem. We've had some hires that have not stepped up. They've been B minuses at best. You know, all these things are a balance, and, and we're certainly gravitating in today's society. You know, we don't want to, you know, schools don't announce valedictorians. Everybody gets a trophy. Sometimes, you know, there's a push like, oh, we don't want to, we don't want to um, give added recognition to the best, in, you know, the best in a class because it makes the other folks feel bad. But again, I go back to um, every company needs an A or, or two, and you got to find them and, and make some accommodations um, because they can make a difference. So, Money, I have a quick question for you. Yeah, so absolutely. Who is, this pod, who is this podcast for? Are we talking to business owners or are we talking to people who are trying to find a job? Because You're talking to, well, technically anybody who wants to listen, but it's a yeah. lot of, you know, principals in a firm or owners or whoever it's meant for it's meant to be for i mean anybody it's meant like people that are hiring but people who are also looking to get hired uh i'm trying to you know the audience is is pretty broad so yeah that's the best well i mean you know know, my my question becomes that you know what about the b minuses c pluses how how do you get hired and as a principal, how do you find a place for them? I think Lou's done a good job answering that there are there is a place for folks like that. Um, but if you are uh, consider yourself a B minus and you say, listen, I'm really good at the tech, but I know I'm not awesome at the social. How do I how do I overcome that? How do I get myself a good job? I think though, personally, I think if you can recognize the fact that hey, right now I am a B minus, I think that's going to elevate you to just have just having the awareness that oh, I'm not great at you know, this side of, of the job that I want to do and just having that awareness to be like, okay, now I need to work on it versus the person that's thinks they're an A that's actually a B minus is going to have a lot harder time in the yeah, world. Yeah, well, welcome to the world of the architect's ego. Everyone <laughs> <laughs> thinks they're that's an A. That's a valid point, minus. yeah. Uh, so let me, ask, let me ask Phil a question because I want to, I, oh. I think it's interesting to, to delve more into the technical skills versus the people skills. I mean, Phil's Phil's um, company does a lot of residential and dealing with with people that are are designing their first home um, is certainly different than dealing with a commercial builder who's done a hundred projects. And so, I'd, I'd like to hear Phil talk about what he looks for in terms of the the personal setting the skills aside, assuming that this person comes in with, with adequate or good or good architecture, you know, drafting skills, what does he look for in terms of the ability to interact with, with uh, residential clients? Well, residential, you can probably assume that it's a much, much more personal thing. You know, so uh, in commercial, not so much. People are, usually you're not dealing with the owner of the building a lot of times you're dealing with the, you know, the, the facilities manager or somebody who's actually just trying to make the process happen. When you're dealing with somebody's space that they're going to sleep in and go to the bathroom in and cook breakfast for their kids in, it's just, you know, it's kind of intimate. Um, so what I say, and I didn't make up this line, but I love it, that the, that the conversation is the relationship. That if you can sit down and feel comfortable with somebody, 
as you interview them, that's what your clients are going to feel when they sit down with the same person. Um, so you just got to, you know, I, I just say, I got to trust that vibe. If I come out thinking, boy, they're really smart. It was a little weird, but, you know, they'll get the drafting done. I don't want that person in front of my client. That That's not the kind of person that I want in a residential job. So I have to be very specific. And it is true in, in, in this firm, there are some people who are more um, fit for residential and more fit for commercial projects. Um, so a lot of it has to do with the personality of the firm. But for me, I, you know, I, you know, we, we treat it pretty seriously. It's a big deal. So Phil, let me ask, let me, let me uh, ask a question that follows up on that. You said it's important to have uh, hire people that you think clients will be comfortable with, mm-hmm. and so that gets to the diversity question. Yeah. So. Um, Several years ago, I was interviewing somebody to act as a receptionist for this company, mm-hmm. and I knew that the people coming in were going to be your basic middle-class older folks. Mm-hmm. Well, I interviewed this receptionist who had all the basic skills, but she had like a safety pin through her eyebrow, and she had one of those tongue things where she was rattling around in her teeth when she talked, and she mm-hmm. had the spiky hair, and and there was no way that people coming through the door we're going to be comfortable with her just on the surface because she was just came from a different place. So I didn't hire her. But what do you do in an architecture firm if you have somebody that's very pleasant, um, has the skills, but you know have a whole different background than than most of your your clients are going to have? Yeah, architecture is a little different, I would say. People expect you to be creative. You know, come in and wear some funky glasses or... You mean quirky? Quirky's okay? Quirky is okay. You know, again, it's changed a little bit whether you're a commercial architect or a residential architect or really what kind of architect are you? you, What's your brand? People like more often than not the creative thing as long as it's not over the top. And, you know, I think this is a little different than the diversity question, Lou. Uh, Our our director of operations um, who started as just our office manager... um, frankly was the person answering the phones for a while came in bleached her hair one day and it was like what and cut it all off and like all right that's pretty cool you know our reaction internally was we like that that made us feel like this is kind of cool cool place and so what about diversity do you think it's important to have close to 50 50 men and women working our theory with that is match your clientele you know it's residential there are definitely more women who take charge of the process. So we we feel that that's, that's good. I mean, in general, we really try to strive for 50-50. We try to have a diverse office, um, you know, both in you know, ethnicity, nationality. Um, uh, what about age? Is it important to have different, different age or different experience levels to be effective? Well, for sure. I mean, you've got to have somebody who's who's smart, who's done it before for a long time. We have a few people like that. And it doesn't, it's not, I can tell you, it's not always the principal of the firm who's the most experienced. We have somebody who we brought on who sort of helped us, who's got, who's got more, more info in that world. Um, and I think it's actually, my sense is that it's good for clients to come in and see that diversity. So let me challenge you on that for a second. So there's yeah. a lot of new, probably successful companies. Yeah. Uber and... Google, and yeah. you, you can walk down a long hallway a long time before you see anybody over the age of 35, yeah. and they seem to do fine. Mm-hmm. So 
these days with the technology and do you really need you know older an, an older um, more mature group or would you be fine with younger people that that are more comfortable with today's trends and well, I think I think buildings are very different things. I mean, these buildings that we say, you know, we say buildings are to stand for 200 years. And people know that there's this broad history of, of building, and a lot of it's trial and error, and a lot of it, it um, things have changed over time. Um, so there's a, a knowledge that has been gained that needs to be gained, and there's a lot, a lot, a lot of info that you need to know to put together a building. So I really think it's I I do think it's different. I mean, I agree with you. I, yeah. was, I was sort of, I was sort of playing devil's advocate. Yeah. Because yeah, there's a big difference. Because there's a big difference between okay, there's twenty somethings that create an app. Right. Well, if the app doesn't work, your life goes on. If you spend a lot of money on a building, and it doesn't do what you need it to do, right. that's a big deal. I don't want to. I don't want somebody to experiment on me. I don't want to be the beta tester for a building. Right. Um, I want somebody that is you know, made the mistakes already with other people. Right. You know, this is your life savings. Not a few uh, venture capitalists got together and gave you, you know, a few thousand dollars to give it a shot. Very, very different feeling. You know, definitely more conservative bent. People are doing with their money. I have a question for both of you uh, quickly yeah. about the hiring of younger people and having an office full of younger people. At any point, do you worry about if you're bringing on someone that's fresh out of college or just a few years removed that, you know, regardless of how we treat them at this company and how good their work is, they're going to be, they're really only going to be here for a year or two years. And the reason I ask is because I was talking to a, uh, a gentleman at another company who said, unfortunately, a lot of his em younger employees do use it as a stepping stone and they're there for, you know, two years, three years, and then they move on. Is that something that you really worry about or have to consider or is it more nope we're just going to hire the best you know I'll, people I'll and if they're that. here for a week I'll, they're here for yeah, a week. I'll answer that I'll answer that first because obviously that is a critical question for the smaller firm that you know larger firms that it's sort of they have it all in a routine and they're going to hire 10 and if one stays they're fine with that to hire another 10 the next year or another 30 the next year smaller firms make such an investment in the hiring process you'd like the people to stay longer and certainly it is an issue with younger people, you know, having um, a lot of interests and, and maybe wanting to move on. Um, and when I advise small firms on how to hold on to younger people, um, I say to them, you may need to change or alter your culture a little bit to accommodate the different perspectives of younger people. I know an architecture firm that has been losing almost every younger person that they're hiring, but they still have a pretty traditional approach to work where you have to be in the office at all times and there's not a lot of flexibility of hours and, and, you know, young people want flexibility. And I think if this particular company adjusted it, some of its policies so that, you know, people could work at home, you know, a day a week or when there's bad traffic or, or that they had in, in the summer, they had some flexibility on a, if it's rained 10 straight days and it's a beautiful day, telling everybody, hey, we can, if you don't have a client meeting, you can, you can take the afternoon off. And so I, I think to, you can keep young people, absolutely, but you have to understand they have a little bit different 
approaches to working than than the last generation and you need to accommodate that or you you will lose them uh, and I think there's two perspectives on this one is the one is the uh, the young employee and the other one is the the owner you know one is the, the culture is a big deal that we're finding and flexibility is a is really important you know we always tell people families first you need to go watch your kid play softball or uh, or soccer, get out of here and go do that. You don't have much of a chance to do that. Um, and again, you know, if you if you want to go skiing and take off a little early, go for it. Um, we also find it doesn't work unless the principals model that. <laughs> also, like you can't say, all right, everybody, go have a drink at 4:30, but you're at your desk working. You, know, you gotta you gotta be the first one to pick up the ping pong paddle, or no one's gonna follow you. Um, so you have to you have to model that culture if it's gonna work. Um, but uh, in terms of the new employee, you know, don't marry the first girl or boy you meet. I think it makes you a better architect in the long run. If you can work with a small firm and you can work with a large firm, and you know what else is out there. You have to have a sense of, of other things, even if you come back to it. It's not a bad thing. No, not at all. And I mean, as a, as a young person, I, I understand you want to go and you want to explore and you want to try different things but yeah i can see it being frustrating if you know you hire someone and then they're a year later they're like ah peace i'm out uh but we are actually running out of time uh so we're gonna wrap up this episode but i want to thank phil and lou so much for being on uh this episode it's been great to talk with both of you uh, and hear your perspectives on what you look for when you're hiring uh for an architecture firm and just in general i think this had a lot of good information that could be applied to not just architecture firms but just businesses in general so i really appreciate it uh if people want to reach out to you guys uh for more information or lou they're looking for a consultant or phil they're looking they're looking for an architecture firm for whatever reason uh where should they go kaplanthompson.com info at kaplan thompson or opuscg.com and they'll you'll find find me all right great and uh for everything psmj make sure to uh head to our website psmj.com you can follow us on twitter and facebook for updates on programs new podcasts new blog posts all that good stuff uh but for now thanks for listening bye